0: Let's turn now to the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then they also brought infants to him that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he had become very sorrowful, he said, How hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, Who then can be saved? But he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, See, we have left all and followed you. So he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive many times more in the present time and in the age to come eternal life. Let us pray. Lord, we know that we on our own have no ability to see anything at all. We are as blind as bats and Lord, even your own disciples did not always see everything nor were they mindful nor did they remember what they should but yet, Lord, you were merciful and kind to them. You were forbearing and patient and you continued to teach them. Well, Lord, we pray that this day you might be patient and kind and forbearing. You show both your Kindness and also your great power by teaching us this day, opening in our eyes and illumining this great text to our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, after the rich young ruler, we come now to Peter's statement to the Lord here in chapter 18 in verse 28. And Peter said, See, we have left all and followed you. Now, the very first question in this is, why did he say that? And why did he say that in that particular situation? What brought him to that point? And as always, the context is very important. What might have prompted Peter to say it at that point? Well, he had just heard uh, Jesus say in verse 22 to the rich young ruler, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven and come follow me. Well, that appeared to be the deal that was an offer. And the question was, was this a special deal for this particular man when he says you will have treasures in heaven or is that a deal for others? Well, it's in this light that we read verse 28 and Peter said, see, we... We have left all and followed you. And the parallel text in Matthew 19, 27 says a little bit more. And Peter answered and said to him, see, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? That's the question. What about us? Is what he has in mind. Did we miss out on this deal? We may not be rich, but we have, in fact, left everything And we have followed you, therefore what shall we have? Do we qualify for this deal? Is it still on? Does it apply to us? And I suppose that we can sympathize with Peter. We always should, to some extent. We've all sometimes felt likewise. I I think actually there's a a recent law or regulation in this country that requires things like energy companies and utilities to let let the people know that these deals that they lavish on new people also apply to them. And sometimes we feel like we've missed out on some good deal. Well, maybe, maybe we can sympathize a little bit with Peter. But I think we should also be careful that we understand that our God is not like some tricky utility company that is offering a deal to some and not to others. And even though it is up to him to bestow grace on whom he will, we understand that his goodness towards his own people is not something that can be gainsaid or that should be doubted. But whatever sin, whatever doubt, whatever problem might be in it, he doesn't get rebuked, by the way, for the Lord. But mainly it is the occasion for the Lord to reiterate that the deal actually was still on offer. And Jesus assured them that they had not missed out. The offer stands, and it's a wonderful offer. Yes, we must leave behind the things of this world, it is true. But when we embrace Christ in faith, we have a really, really good deal. Even in this life, we receive a bit much bigger, broader, more wonderful family than what we might have left behind, and also possessions, material things, not possessions, perhaps, but certainly material things. And what is more, and what is far more important, we receive eternal life in the world come Now, in the course of this, we must remind ourselves of the generosity of God. We must remind ourselves that he is better than we imagine him to be. And we should certainly remind ourselves of the privileges that we have in Christ. Yes, in the day of salvation. Yes, in the day of the Lord to come. But of our benefits even now. So the sermon this morning is that the offer stands that's our title the offer stands first of all we have left all and second you shall have in the present time and thirdly in the age to come the offer stands with these three points we have left all you shall have in the present time and thirdly in the age to come So first of all, we have left all, in verse 28. And Peter said, see, we have left all and followed you. We've already mentioned the context. He's prompted by this offer given to the rich young ruler, and and Peter's wondering then if he's going to have it. Now let me say again that I am amazed, amazed at the patience and forbearance of the Lord in the way that he responds. Some would be, well, some, maybe I would be tempted to say, Oh, oh, Peter, that, that deal was just for rich rulers. Uh, you have the fisherman deal. And the fisherman deal doesn't come with the riches in heaven part. You, 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 you have some other deal. And then say, no, Peter. No, Peter, I'm about to lay down my life for you, as he about to, he's explaining. There's not a single good thing that I would withhold from you. You've been with me from the beginning. Are you really so, mi- do you think of me as so miserly that I would do that? And not give you this good deal? Well, he doesn't say that, actually, because he's such a kind and patient and forbearing God that he bears with his disciples even in such things. Now, it's perhaps worth mentioning that in the parallel text of Matthew nineteen twenty eight, says this, "'So Jesus said to them, "'Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, "'when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, "'you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones.'" judging the 12 tribes of Israel, right? So actually, when Jesus, taken in its parallel text, when Jesus is communicating to the apostles, he says, "Uh, no, Peter, actually you get a better deal than the standard one. You are an apostle, and you get the apostles' deal in which you will be on the thrones judging the 12 tribes for all of eternity. And we know that when we go to, to Revelation, it seems more than once that the apostles of the Lord have a special deal, they have a special standing in heaven, and that is the glory of God, the glory of the Lord Jesus to bestow these great things, these riches, these rewards on those whom he chooses. But no, he, they're not going to get a lesser deal. That's for certain, and neither are we. But let me say then, also, we, that, that, that they did leave all, and that should not be forgotten. You know, um, way back and in, in towards the, the beginning of the Gospels, we know the story of the calling of the disciples, for instance. The this, this, this story is, is similar throughout, but Jesus in Galilee saw these brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a boat with Zebedee, their, mother, their, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And that's not without its signification. Immediately, they left the boat, which is their means of sustenance. It was their business. And their father, their family, not just the father, but all the father's house, all of their family, they left behind these things and they followed him. And that was the story repeated for all of the disciples. They really had left everything. But you know that's very much part of the deal. Throughout the, the Gospel of Luke, if there's been a theme that has come up more than once, it is the need, the requirement to leave behind the things of this world. It is the requirement to lay down our life, to take up our cross and follow him. He said, look, if you're not willing to to take to leave your life behind, if you're not willing to, to take up your cross, this instrument of separation from this world, this instrument of condemnation, of this world, this instrument of execution and of death, if you're not willing to do that, then you're not worthy to be my disciple. That has been a theme throughout. You cannot have both things. You cannot have, for instance, you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot have two masters. You either love the one and hate the other or or vice versa. You can't do that. You have to take your pick. Which one are you going to pick? Are you going to pick God money or are you going to pick God, Jesus? And that is just what we've seen in the rich young ruler, isn't it? There are those two gods are set before him and saying, you can have one. Take your pick. You want eternal life? You said, you, you, what, are, what shall I do to have eternal life? Good question. I'll tell you. Choose me instead of God money. He says, no, I, I, I'll take God money. He was fooling himself, thinking that he could serve both things and walking a middle way. No, eventually you have to pick. And that's been a theme throughout. Yes, you must. You must, in that sense, leave all behind. Yes, you must be willing to lay down your life in this world. Because he who is not willing to do that, he who saves his life in this world, meaning protects it, keeps it the way it is, will lose it in the end. But he who lays down his life now will have it eternally. That is the deal. That is very much part of the deal that is an offer. Now let me say though, so they've done that, that's good, that's laudable, these, these disciples have done it, that's why in fact I think they're encouraged by the Lord, that's why they're not rebuked, for asking in such a cheeky way, because they have done that. But let me say, someone else in the picture here, has also left all, he hasn't mentioned much, and they don't seem to notice it, but it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he left all when he took on human flesh in the first place. He didn't just leave behind a fisher's boat on the Lake of Galilee, actually. He, he left behind the situation of the, of, as he was, as the eternal Son of God, dwelling in heaven in, in unapproachable light and in perfect joy, and, and, un, and the absence of all that is painful or cursed or anything like that, in, in separation from this wicked and cursed creation. And he left that behind in order to come down here to take on human flesh and to live in a world full of sinners in order that he might save them in order precisely that he might save men such as Peter and the rest of these apostles, as they are now questioning him as to whether they're going to get a good deal or not. He's left all. Oh, and, and that's not in even what he had in this world, because he did in God's goodness. He had a mother. He had, as it were, a a, a stepfather. He had these half-brothers and half-sisters and a house in this world and a vocation in this world and he left all of those things behind as well. And so the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head in this world as he'd left it all in order that he might be about his father's business. Those things seem not to be mentioned or noticed by the disciples that he had also laid all of these things behind and by the way let me say if you don't if you don't think that this bothered him if you don't think that this was any kind of burden or or problem whatsoever for him that he did, and if you think he didn't even notice it you know being the god man being so divine he didn't even notice the fact that he had nowhere to lay his head the fact that he was away from his family the fact that he had nothing he'd left all this behind you think he didn't notice it at all well you don't think you don't really believe that he was fully human do you because if you believed that he was truly human you yourself know what being human is like and you would know that these things would reach him and affect him deeply but he's left all in order that he might secure salvation not for himself by the way, not for himself, but for us. Well, they had left all. They spoke truly, we have left all. And secondly, Jesus assures them that they will have something even in the present time. You will have this in the present time. He said, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents. And notice the way he says it, there's no one there 's no exceptions peter you 're thinking maybe there are some who have been left out of the deal that was on offer, but let me assure you, there is no one who has ever done this who 's left house and not for and, and house or parents not just for any sake, but of course for the sake of the kingdom of God. There is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in the present time. They're actually going to get something, even in the present time. That is an amazing thing. We have more than once said that what is to come is far outweighs what is now, and we'll say that again in the next point. And indeed, if the deal contained absolutely nothing in this present age, it really wouldn't change much, would it? Because whatever happens in the, the, the next world utterly, utterly outweighs the situation here. But God, in His goodness, provided that we should have great benefits even in this life. And it is in kind of the very things that we've left behind. If, in God's providence, we have been required to leave behind our home, our family, our wife or our husband, our children or parents or houses or lands or any of those things, if we have been required to lay, we are getting more even in this life. What is he talking about even in this present time? What is he talking about? He's talking about the people and family of God, the church. That's what he's talking about, the church. It's made very clear in the parallel passage in Mark 10 so jesus answered and said to him assuredly i say to you there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels as that's also elaborated my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now this time not just many times hundredfold houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution by the way and he is talking about again the church he has been the recipient of that by the way as he goes along he even says so it's very true the lord jesus himself precisely his point in luke 8 if you remember that luke eight twenty. do you remember what he said he says, your, These people came and said, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. He doesn't say, Oh, great, bring them in. He says, My mother and my brothers are, those, are these who hear the word of God and do it, meaning the people of God, those who believe in his name, the church that has been gathered. He said, These are my mother and my brothers. I have many more even in this world than that which I've left behind. He only had five half-brothers, so that we, as far as we know, but now he's got these 12 disciples, and what is more, the 70. We don't know exactly how many sisters he had. It was at least two. But there he had that large company of, of women who ministered to him and were his mothers and sisters. And so it is with all of us who leave behind anything of this world, that we gain the church. We gain the church. Now you say you don't think much of the church. You know what? Jesus Christ thinks much of the church. Lay down his life for her and looks forward to being with her in eternity. And even in this life, the church was a great comfort to him. He received the great gift of the Father that he, the Father bestowed. Yes, he was going to have it rough in this life. Yes, it was all going to be with persecution. And he doesn't leave that part out. He says it's going to be with persecutions. He says he bestows the great gift even in this life of the family of God. The mothers and the fathers and the brothers and the sisters and the sons and the daughters and the, the houses and, and lands of the things that are the churches together and of the people of the church that we share with one another in various ways. He was the recipient of it. He enjoyed it. He was thankful for it, and so should we be. You will have these things in the present time. And I think that there are those among us who could give their testimony to say, yes, this is true. That my family and the family of God is more it is more loving it is more joyful it is closer to my heart than even the family that i whether physically or spiritually have had to leave behind you will have that even in the present time but that's not it of course that's not the end. You'd have to say, incidentally, if it's as good as what Jesus is saying, if he's speaking of a hundredfold, you would be. it would be worth your while to take this deal that's on offer, even if all you had was in this present world. But it's far better than that. Because in the age to come, thirdly, in the age to come is eternal life. That's verse 30. Let's not forget, before we go any further in this, that there is an age to come. We know that the world says there isn't the increase of atheism is is dreadful uh, not so long ago the reality of a life to come was taken for granted even by those of very little or poor religion but now it is under full attack no there is an age to come and we must never forget that, that that there is one because what happens there is of necessity of infinite importance it outweighs everything and anything that could possibly happen to to us here. That is obviously and continually the point of Scripture. And it says that the, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared of that which awaits us in eternity. And we must not forget that. This age to come. And what we get there in the age to come, because look, even if you're... Again, go back to mathematics the difference between eternity and some finite number you don't even have to stick with 100 years or 120 years you can make it a thousand years you can make it 10,000 years and if you compared it to eternity do you know what the good deal would be that your situation in eternity would be 0.001 percent better than what it is now That would be an infinitely, because of this infinite component, that is an infinitely better deal. No matter what you lose in this life, even have one shred of improvement in the world to come, that is absolutely worth anything that you'd pay in this life. But of course, it's not like that. What he's speaking of is eternal life. This is the great jewel. This is the great reward on offer. This is the core of it. What we have now, of course, in this world is death We live in a land of death. We live in an age of death. We are constantly in the presence of death and in the fear of death. It governs everything. Yes, again, this this world. Satan is his trickery seeks even to cloak that. Tries to find ways to keep us uh, always entertained, always distracted, so the reality of death never comes to us. But even in that way, even. Even in this his his desire to entertain us, sometimes entertainers die and reminds us that it will soon enough come to us all. And in this life, and in this context, in this situation, this age of death, he says there there is eternal life. Now, when he says eternal life, we have to say, first of all, of course, that it never comes to an end. That's the problem with our lives now, that they do come to an end. We are fallen, and we are going to die, certainly, if the Lord does not first return. But our situation in that life will be different. It will be everlasting. And unlike what with, with Adam, I was speaking to the theology students on this, uh, yes, Adam, of course, was born without death. There is nothing inherent in him that would ever cause him to die, but he was, he was changeable. We know that because he did change. He, was, he had this changeability in him, and sadly he chose to rebel against us. But brothers and sisters, that is not the situation of us in heaven. This gift of eternal life means that we can never fall away from it. We will always have this life, and there's no possibility of falling. And moreover, it is an abundant life. Jesus didn't come just to put us on life support. He said, no, I came to give you life abundant And this eternal life, in, in its implications and entailments, which we can speak of some other time at great length, of course means that it is unbounded in every good thing. It is unlimited in every bad thing, particularly death, changeability, sin, disease, tears, sadness, any of those things. There's none of it. It's not to be touched by those things. But moreover... It is unbounded in every good thing, unlimited happiness, perfect sinlessness and happiness and wonderful joy, wonderful joy forever. So this is the great jewel. This is the thing that he says that is on offer. And the question is, how did he get such a gift to bestow upon his favored subjects like Peter and the other apostles? Well, oh, that again is the subject of the very next section in this chapter. As Jesus explains his coming, arrest and trial and scourging and crucifixion. And that's the thing that they are continually forgetting as well. They're not mindful of what he left, he's left behind. And they're certainly not mindful of what he's about to have to lay down, which is his life. That's just Jesus' point. In order for all this to happen he's going to have to he's laying he's putting aside all those things and he's laying down his life he's willing to do it to secure for all of his people eternal life that's the that's the price to pay for sinners who are about to die sinners in the hands of a righteous and just god he's gonna have to lay down his life but in laying it down it secures all these good things He's saying, yeah, that is the deal. In that way, it's just like the deal that I have myself. Now, you you don't, none of us are going to be crucified. None of our deaths have any kind of p- uh, penal substitutionary implications to it. But the same basic paradigm, the same, the same uh, mold that has been cast for Christ, he said, yes, that applies to you as well. You have to lay it, leave it aside Leave it behind, lay it down, and you will get eternal riches. Yes, that was true of the Lord Jesus Christ as well. When it says this gift of eternal life in its fullest sense, that was true of him as well. I don't mean the fact that he wasn't already possessed of eternity. Of course, he was. But this riches in heaven, let me tell you, that was absolutely true of Christ. In order to get this good thing, riches in eternity, he was going to have to lay down his life. Do you understand that? It was true of him. Hebrews 12.2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith, who for what? For no good reason? For his health? For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne. God, that's not just a a figure of speech. He really means that. Okay, That's, that's the inspired word of God. It says there's a joy set before him. There's something he wants in heaven. He wants it. It's riches. What is it? It's us. And in order to secure that that additional these additional riches, how can Christ be any more joyful than he already was in eternity? I don't know, you go figure it out. He was already perfect perfectly joyful, but somehow, in his infinite goodness, he ordained that he should have additional riches in heaven, which is the church, and to secure that he had to leave behind his family, his father. He had to leave behind his earthly family and he had to lay down his life and he did receive all these things. He has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God and all these things will be his to enjoy in eternity. And let me say, brothers and sisters, he is not asking you to do one little thing that he himself has not done. He is not making a deal for you that he was not willing to have himself. Only he and only he did that deal in all the fullness to the greatest extent. See, even Abraham, when he was called to leave behind his... Did you notice that in the reading? When he was called to leave behind his father's country, what did he bring with him? All of his people and possessions, right? So even though he had to leave in order to, to follow God, he didn't actually have to leave everything. And you know, even with Peter, he says we've left everything, but funny enough... Here and there we have hints that his family seem to reappear. He hasn't completely left him behind. And you know, that's the thing. Is that as Jesus tells us what it is in theory, very often in his goodness and his grace, it doesn't work that way in practice. All he's asking us from us is a willingness to lay down our life. And he in his goodness makes the deal even better normally. And what we're prepared for it to be. Utterly the opposite of what Peter thought. So let me say, the first and obvious application is just to take the deal. It's a very, very good deal, and it is still on offer. I mean, uh, what a sad thing would it be for me to come to you. You know that, that God's uh, covenant does not change, but the manner of administration does. And let's imagine, theoretically, of course it didn't. Let's imagine that actually the, the administration of that was worse today than what it was in the Old Testament. Wouldn't it be sad for me to be preaching through the Old Testament and and for us to realize, wait, all, all that Abraham had to do was believe and, and he got all that? That's amazing. And I'd have to say to you, I'm sorry, that, that that's just not an offer anymore. We have a, a slightly uh, not as good deal for us today. It would be very sad for us. But let me say... That is not the case. The deal is still around. All we have to do, all we have to do is say, is be willing to let go of the things of this world that are clinging to us, that we are clinging to it. And I mean the whole deal. Some of us struggle with more different aspects of that. Satan has his hooks in all of us in different ways. So we, we don't want to be monochrome or monodimensional when we think of this world because family means a lot. Because our situation and status means a lot. The, par- the possibility of persecution, of standing against the world, that sometimes means a lot. Of peer pressure, that means a lot to some people. But of all these things, what Jesus is saying is be willing just to let go. Leave the implications to me. Yeah, there will be persecution one way or another. He said that. Leave those implications to me. Let go of that rope and, and hold on to this one, okay? You can't forever be like this. You've got to let go and, and cling to Christ in faith. And he says that even in this world, it's going to be better. That's what he says. Even in this world, it's going to be better. And brothers and sisters, again, I add my testimony to say that is true. Take the deal. Embrace Christ. And I need not say, the riches in heaven, eternal life is worth it. Secondly, then, let's just count it a bonus. Count it a bonus when things are better than what he said. Okay, Now, people in this world sometimes make, make deals that are not as good as what they said. Okay, they either did not intend to fulfill them or just in this fallen world, it didn't work out. And the deal is very rarely as good as what they said. But Jesus goes the opposite direction. He speaks in categorical, absolute terms as if every single person who ever believed in him, A, had to completely say goodbye to all of their family for all, forever, never speak to him again, leave behind all of their possessions either just leave them behind or sell them and and so forth and have nothing and, 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 you know, go to a far country as it were, and then to suffer great persecution and to be martyred. He says he speaks sometimes as if that would be the case for every last one of his people. Raise your hand if that's true of you in this room. No one. He hasn't actually... Ask us, as it were, exacted from us that situation for any one of us, okay? And as I say, I think, yes, there have been cases of very extreme persecution in which almost every one of those things would have been fulfilled. But I'm not sure if anyone ever fulfilled it the way Christ himself did in leaving behind all those things and laying down his life so entirely. So, my beloved, count it a bonus. If you're not actually at this moment required in your calling to leave everything in this world, count it a bonus. If you're not required to leave behind your family entirely, count it a bonus. You're not guaranteed it. The Bible certainly depicts it as something not to count on, but rather the opposite. But if your life in this world is better than what he mentioned as far as your family, your things, and all the rest of it, and count it a bonus. But thirdly, and most importantly, please become more acquainted with your privileges. Maybe better acquainted would be the way to say it. Become better acquainted with your privileges. You know, it was a a quote some of the men in the Presbytery love to mention that our problem is that we are not sufficiently acquainted with our privileges the puritans more than one said something like that and we know for instance the, the shorter catechism ask in three different ways what are the benefits what benefits what privileges do we get well there's benefits in this life in question 36 there's benefits at death in question 37 speaking of the intermediate state, and there's questions at the resu- and there's benefits at the resurrection What then, focusing on that maybe, question 36, what are the benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification? The benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification are assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Ghost, increase of grace, and perseverance therein unto the end. Now, it doesn't even mention the church. Maybe it was left out. It is the shorter catechism. But we get all those things and even something more beside. Okay? Now I want to say that just like the gospel itself, all of these things are there for the taking, but you have to embrace them. And what I mean particularly to say is the church. The church. Okay? The church that was a comfort to Christ even in this world, He'd left behind his mother and brothers and sisters. But he said he has these things because of God's people, those who believe in him and do his word. He has these things and he's blessed by them. He enjoys them. And very clearly he has embraced them. Very clearly. And let me ask you, have you embraced the church? Have you embraced the church? Because you're not going to benefit from it unless you do. Right? the thing that Christ himself has intended for us, the thing that he's looking forward to very much in being with his church in eternity, those things will not be useful to us. They will not avail us much unless we also embrace them. Now, I would say to those who have been, this is a very specific application, for those who have been going to, for some time, I do mean in terms of months and months, not, not in terms of days or weeks. And if you've not joined yourself to this church, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Because the embrace is always two ways, okay? Two ways. Uh, you, our embrace of you, but your embrace of us. And if you, you desire to have the fullness of, of the things that God has intended for you, even in this life, there must be commitment. What kind of mothers or brothers or sisters are there that have no real relationship and that formally their relationship could be the same as anyone in the world? No. Those who have that kind of close relationship formally commit themselves to one another, and we call that church membership. And I would challenge some among us to consider that. Become more acquainted with your privileges. Yes, in this life. But let me not stop there. Let me briefly also mention then what what benefits do believers receive from Christ at death. This is the intermediate state before the resurrection. But when we die, before Christ comes, the souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness. And don't we look forward to that? don't we look forward to that you know if there's something that increases in this life sometimes it does feel in our day-to-day experience that our holiness does not seem to increase at all we know objectively that's not true it can't be true any living thing does increase and despite ourselves we are growing slowly in holiness but if there is one thing that does seem to increase it is a sense of our sinfulness That as our eyes are opened, as the cataracts are removed, the scales fall from our eyes, we see ourselves more and more clearly, and we do not like what we see. And we say, how can we escape this old man of sin? And more and more the saints look forward then to the day in which they will be made perfect in holiness. Because we are far from it at the moment. And that is the great ornament speaking to the students yesterday, the great ornament which Christ is giving to us. If the queen were to give the most precious things that she ever had, maybe the crown jewels, it would be something extrinsic to herself. Things that beautify her, things that identify her high office. No, no higher office is there that there is this outward glory that is to be seen in the crown jewels. But the Lord has something that is intrinsic to himself. That is the great beauty of, Of the triune God, and it is holiness, and He is absolutely bestowing that upon us, even now. But at our death, we'll be made perfect in holiness, and we immediately pass into glory. Isn't that a wonderful thought? But that's not the end, because, of course, there are benefits at the resurrection. Because at the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and be made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. And I hope you're looking forward to that. I hope that warms your heart. The thought of the full enjoyment of God to all eternity because you see it does again work both ways the Lord so appreciated being with his own people even in this world but more, far more so in eternity because they remain sinners and we marvel at his forbearance but surely there was some element that says Peter wake up surely there's some element that would say more sin for my own disciples, more pride, more jockeying for position. And his enjoyment was therefore impaired by their sin. But one day it shall not. And our enjoyment of him is impaired in this life by sin. We can enjoy him a tenth, a hundredth of the way that we shall when we are made perfect in our holiness. And there's nothing between us at all but the full enjoying of God. And that, brothers and sisters, is something to look forward to. That is something to, to wager your life on in this this world. It is something to be willing to lay down your life for. And may we may, may we do that? May we do that? Let us pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you are so kind and patient to speak to us. Lord, you would be within your rights perhaps sometimes to leave us without another word, without any other gospel, without any other teaching, without any other correction or assurance or discipline at all. But Lord, you in your goodness and your forbearance continually speak to us. And Lord, we are reminded that even though we have small and miserly thoughts of you, and we know that Peter is very much our representative in this, Lord, that you have large and generous Wonderful thoughts towards us. Lord, you do, you do not intend to give us some lesser deal, but Lord, something that is beyond even our imagination. And Lord, even in this life, our situation is far better than that which we have left behind. And Lord, how we pray if there's anyone who's not taken this deal, how we pray, Lord, that whether for this life and particularly for the life to come, that they would be willing indeed to leave all behind and to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, Lord, when even when it's as so often, Lord, you don't call us to do all that much in this life, to forsake all that much, it seems, Lord, let us count it a bonus and part of your generosity and serve you with gladness as long as we live and look forward to these greater riches, particularly our holiness and our unbridled, unlimited, infinite enjoyment of God for all of eternity in the world to come. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.